perceptions are created in this country. They might start as jokes, they might start as uh, small stereotypes, but mm-hmm. eventually they get into the system slowly. They go into school, you know, like you, you remember Mr. and Mrs. Kamau in primary, they looked yeah. at family, you know, that used to do stuff, you know, they're, they're good, yeah? So yeah. slowly by slowly, you know, it starts from there, goes back into the society, they say these particular kind of people are this way. Because most people, like I usually say, they don't want to read and think for themselves. They wait for politicians or call a leadership, it could be the clergy, it could be the teachers, it could be the chief, it could be the village mm-hmm. elders, tell them how to perceive things or how to view things. So whatever mm-hmm. it's said, it's taken uh, for that matter. So in in her sentiment, um, I don't know how to put it because when, when you say people can't communicate in English, yet we know communication isn't only based on one facet. Yeah, communication yeah. can be through reading, it can be through listening, it can be through writing. Another skill could be even listening. You know, if if not spoken. So when when Nancy says, you know, people lack this skill, and it's inform. Uh, luckily, we are a cosmopolitan. We have Luos here. We have Kikuyus who have grown in Magongo. We have Kambas all over. So when you say Costarian, most people know generally you're saying, indeed, the Mijikendas, the Taitas and the Pokomos and the Bajunis who are there and the Swahilis, not necessarily the resident of coastal area because Costarian is, is, a, is, a, is a cosmopolitan place. The people don't know who don't know their place, whatever. They just know exactly. I come from Kilifi. I've been born in Kilifi. We've been burying our people in Kilifi. They belong to different ethnic lines, but they cannot associate to that apart from the tongue that whereby they can expect extend their communication. So the reception has been somewhat mixed from that. Uh, we could start from the political angle. There has been backlashes from uh, Aisha Juma. Actually, she used that opportunity to drum support, uh, bashing BBI, saying that since we do not know English, there's no need of us voting for the BBI. She scored some points on that. Some other politicians have come in to say that. Just to pick few scholars, uh, we have one great scholar from Pwani University. Uh, he's called Halimu Shauri. He's a sociologist, uh, an excellent one for that matter. And he came to the front, uh, to the fore and said, you know, in as much as we use English in our day-to-day working, it shouldn't be uh, the only thing we look into some of these uh, employable positions for a cook for example for somebody who is supposed to serve in a in a in a ship um, mm-hmm. you know they're there they're, they're waiters they just need to be told uh, i need this bring me this beer they go to the counter they give that order they they dress the table come on what english is needed for for one to embark on that nothing we have bangladeshis they're known to be good seafarers in many of these vessels which are multinationals you find bangladeshis you'll find chinese you'll find indians you'll find Turks. they don't need to you know to particularly use english in their day-to-day basis of work we do understand english to some extent that's what he, he, he was saying i'm sure in some extent it's needed that being, brings me to one of uh, one of the maritime gurus you have around here called mongura i think you must remember it Mongura. Mongura uh, says, yes, she could be right, right? Like each and every professional has their particular lingo to move their world. You have lawyers and their Latin and their razzmatazz or repetitive words. You have doctors with the convoluted words. You have pilots. Uh, actually, last time I heard is that English is a standard language for, for pilots. So whatever you do, whatever you, English is a standard language for pilots. And so forth and so on. Each profession has its uh, what we call a professional language. 
for Mongura though he he picked out one thing in particular that uh, uh, in the maritime maritime courses being offered it is unfo- mm. it is unfortunate that there is no particular emphasis on the professional language the professional english language to enable that that profession in that matter to go ahead which I'll, I'll agree but then again if i'm if if i were to go to school to learn law it means all the training has to be based in that profession you do not need a particular unit you get me you don't need a particular unit to dwell on the language of that profession because this profession if you're going for four, for four years three years that profession already is laden with that language of that particular profession it's like saying you go to med school but then in between med school you need to have an english class that will teach you medical terms of this thing it doesn't happen does it no it doesn't it cannot happen you know you cannot come back and say you know uh, we have to teach you what a plaintiff is and a, a complaint is and all that you cannot do that this is language already in the profession yeah mm-hmm. so for every unit people learn they are told you know their new words they come up they should be able to to do that for people to to be there an opportunity has to be provided for them and it's so unfortunate because we have our ancestors who have been using these vessels since time memorial since yeah. slavery time memorial and then you come back here and you say you know you people who want these maritime jobs seafarers you need to have an english language more to read the wind you need english really you either have that, that for years for centuries basically exactly and that's what's giving a the the the, the bangladeshis and the turks an upper hand when it comes to maritime Okay, if we, if we go far back, we see um, the fact that uh, the, the coastal region has really been what you'd call Kenya for the last over a thousand years, if not longer. Yes. At what point does it lose this to Nairobi and the White Highlands? And how does this fit in, especially given, you know, both it is Nairobi, not Mombasa, it's English, not Swahili, even though Swahili is in our constitution as one of our national languages. Yeah, yeah uh, I'll take you a, a little while back yeah? mm-hmm. in our history. Uh, the development of coastal region apart from the indigenous who also are being uh, pushed on the side eh, when it comes to talk coastal issues yeah it has always mm-hmm. been about the arabs it has been always about uh, islam civilization forgetting that the indigenous was here way before all these people and people had their own settlements had their own systems of administration and governance yeah so mm-hmm. we can go back to the period of chinese coming into lamu arabs coming in establishing the coastal region as a as a town because you realize it also had its own currency which dates back into 18s yeah. the coastal was developed come the english person the english person comes in um, first and foremost he finds the indigenous the indigenous is not cooperative with him uh, we can trace it can trace it back to mekatilili uh, leading uh, the uh, the griyama nation in opposing the, the the tax being taken to the fields to work and and all that so the mzungu sees you know these people are not co- what do you do remember they don't own the 30 mile strip of the coast this is still under the, the sultan of zanzibar what do they do they have to move uh, inland right so mm-hmm. in moving inland uh, one thing in particular you'll find with the majengos is that they had to move in with africans who were already clerks and these were indigenous from the coastal region and that's why you find majengos in nyeri nairobi you go to nakuru you find majengo you find majengo in kisumu and so forth i think even there's somewhere in western you cannot miss a majengo these settlements uh 
or arising from uh, from Islam come Arab uh, educated people in matters clerical, right? They pick these guys, they come in, land, they teach new people. Now they teach the I'll call them Wabara because that's how we call it, eh? or Pwani Nyika and then Bara. So uh, the the communities in the inland, uh, I told you, you see uh, these people uh, we are coming with them. They are lazy. They are lazy in the sense that they do not labor in the farm. But guess who writes uh, every day for for the Mzungu or who translates for the Mzungu what uh, what quarters the worker in the field has achieved? The very guy they came with from the coasts on behalf they be given. You know, it's like a secondment from one government. People are seconded from national government to county government. Yeah? So Sultan of Zanzibar, that mile strip belongs to him. Tells the local person kindly kindly give Baden Powell uh, a clerk, a clerical officer so that he can go with inland, their works inland. They are given secondment, yeah? So, but when they get mm-hmm. to the inland, the Mzungu tells the, now the community up there, see, these people are not hardworking. They're not even farming, right? They're not even farming at their own lands. They've refused to farm in their own lands. Remember, it wasn't farming for our own food. It was farming to benefit the Mzungu. Remember that very well. And yeah. which uh, Mekatilili refused. But here, come to the inland. Tell the people, you know, farming is good. You look built. You're not lazy like the people from the coast. So what do they pick over years and over years and over years over over an emphasis of a given term people are lazy right so mm-hmm. the sultan period ends yeah you know the coastal strip has been we say it has been at a perpetual war since its inception it can mm-hmm. become but you see the politics are already are already warlike you know every time it's confrontational yeah? yeah people who maybe don't want to understand how how we, we do our things the wish we do things the way they do them same way the nairobi mm-hmm. people come here they wish uh, they do things the nairobi way you cannot have that suit you're having in mombasa you're going to burn so yeah. if you find me with a vest i'm chillaxing teasing that i'm lazy so there's that part the, the wars uh, make the sultan seed and all that nina, nina. so remember since time memorial the Mzungu didn't want the coastal area to develop yeah so they leave it mm-hmm. to decay right yeah. because it isn't in their it isn't in their um, their caretaking after the, the sultan right. ownership issues so they move it to nairobi or rather it was even also in much it happened to the cambas they are told the same same things They're not cooperating mm-hmm. so the other part on also just to put in a medical issue on the on the on the on the laziness being people walking slow man you cannot mm-hmm. walk very fast in a in this humidity or in this heat. heat yeah you mm-hmm. can only do that in a place where it's kind of chilled your body can yeah. move you that way yeah your body is trying as much as possible not to overheat and we come forward there's a bit of the conversation uh when you see kenya politically of course genuine grievances but then 2010, devolution comes in. We have resources going to the ground, we have, which is something that was here in the six, early 60s. It has been the impact on the marginalization and underdevelopment. Of course, we can't overstate it because you can't fix 100-year marginalization and stereotype in, what, seven, eight years? But how much yeah. has it been able to shift that gear? Uh, I'll say uh, devolution was a blessing. Mm-hmm. It was a positive. It doesn't heal everything. Like you said, we cannot, uh, 60 or so plus years or 100 plus, so plus years, of uh, being behind, you cannot catch them up in a period of 10 years. You can put it from 2010 to today. Yeah? Also, it has its own shortcomings. Yeah. So I'll go to the positives. Yeah? One of the positives mm-hmm. is that I go to, to land issues. I'll say a little bit, there's some stability. You don't have to go all the way to Nairobi community area to start looking for your title deed, right? Mm-hmm. Because they are already mm-hmm. established uh, units under the county on land. Land... Uh, as in wars, world over has be, have been around land and and its exploitation 
or explore, exploration. We can say to that end, it's doing good. Uh, most of the services are within reach. Services which you had to go, maybe say from Kilif, you had to go to Mombasa, and if you miss them in Mombasa, you have to go all the way to Nairobi. So it's positive on that on that note, uh, that it has a, a little bit removed that marginalization part and effect. On the other hand, you give an experienced 17-year-old uh, money and a new car, you know what? What to expect next? Array. Remember the first uh, the first four years of devolution. That is after the elections up to around 2015, 2014. How corruption mm-hmm. was rife because in another county this is how they do their tendering. In another county this is how they're doing their tendering, which was on purpose because anybody with their with their mind upright they would have maintained the transitional authority. Yeah, karibu sana Mturi. Yeah, but then the conversation around, of course, devolution, all these devolution. different. It's crazy how much money we were losing between 2013, 2014, 2015. Of course, uh, devolution took money to the ground, but then you see a lot of it, it's kids in a candy store. You know, basically you have these local elites, if we could call them that, just yeah. going in there, and a lot of changes are happening, but also amidst a lot of uh, inefficiencies, if you will. Of course, we could, can't rule that out. But then you look at counties like Kilifi, you look at Malindi, the other side, you look at you know Tana River, this other side, Kuale on the southern border. I mean, it's this, this is a huge opportunity to at least make a dent to this marginalization and underdevelopment. This sense of the coast as simply um, a tourist paradise, forgetting that it's a very complex ecosystem with the people who've lived there and not for a year or two. This is we've talked about the positives, which of course include some of the major infrastructures like Pwani University, of course, Cambria there, um, the Kenya Post Authority, but then have all these maritime institutions, but then SGR happens. How's that? And you know, the politics around it and the desire to move, you know, clearance mm. the ICT in Nairobi and all these. How does cost handle that impact? Many things. Uh, going back on the marginalization issue, I think um, the coastal counties uh, got it wrong would be they never picked a particular issue to solve over that first mm-hmm. period of devolution. See, if uh, mm-hmm. you have an issue of hunger in mm-hmm. your county, that ought to be the first thing you, you solve, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean Definitely. you put the rest back, eh? but that yeah. happens to be the foremost thing you, you solve. So mm-hmm. when you look at it from the point of, I can give an example of Kuala. Kuala is a good one, huh? They tried, yeah, mm-hmm. because quality realized, mm-hmm. you know, we lack maybe a, a good educated mm-hmm. population in our county. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Let's embark on scholarships. Mm-hmm. You know, let's fill the gap on education. Let's put it this first. Then uh, mm-hmm. we don't have the health facilities. Let this be second. Uh, mm-hmm. What do we need to do? Okay, uh, tourism brings in money. Or what do we need to do? Let's improve the infrastructure around the beach. So some of the counties, unfortunately, like Kilifi, I can tell you, it's uh, it's more like we have lots of unfinished infrastructure. And also, I think uh, I'll also pin it on the voters because uh, voters happen to be voting along party lines more than more than a picture somebody he paints for you. Also, the other thing is, I'll say. Oh, on the part of Kilifi, we are very uh, optimistic people. I think Nturi will agree with me that um, maybe we, we needed to lower expectations. We had very high expectations. A bit of marginalization is gone. So we go to the other part of on SGR. <laughs> That's another thing. Yeah. So it's politics. Uh, it's, it's politics. For a fact, yeah. I can say that yeah. half of the CFS owners, the clearing and forwarding services agents at the ports, more than half, I'll even put it at 98%, are not uh, locals, as in the ownership mm-hmm. isn't localized. You see, the coffee business in Kenya is surrounded people by people 
who own the very the very local, not local in the sense of local, but it has a local ownership. It's run by people who have the coffee business, coffee industry, who happen to be also the local ownership. For the ports, that did, that wasn't the case. That also shifts to something interesting, which is uh, further north, basically, if you go up Malindi, then you get yes. into Lamu, uh, which is Lapset. Lapset was the savior of this country. And there's no more land to be redistributed <laughs> as previous government have done before. There's no money to steal. They've stolen everything and whatever remained, they've even borrowed to steal. You have one of those moments, you know, like Lapset, which especially was targeting South Sudan and Ethiopia and partly Northern Uganda, which would have unlocked the North. But then it hasn't picked up as, you know, we had expected. Maybe we had our expectations were too high or how do we get it back on track? I think if we're to to be honest, Lapset is a great project. Somalia doesn't have a, a port. The, the largest port is in Djibouti, but it's owned by different nations and all that kind of support. So Lapset is a good project in that um, a stable Somalia gets an opportunity to export its products through there. You can leverage on that to get things to Somalia. Lapset ought to have brought good tidings to, to the local community, right? Maybe the Galana Kulalu, its closeness to Lapset would have done that. But are there roads which sufficient to go all the way to Lamu? Because up to date, going to Lamu is still a hassle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I say Lapset is good on my end because whatever the building materials they are using, they are, you know, they are exploiting it from Kilifi. So it's opportunity for those who work in the quarries, not so much an opportunity because also people are being shortchanged. They are told, as opposed to have a lease on this land to say uh, whatever quarry stones are coming out to be charged per ton, they are told to sell off their land to the exploit of land. They said it's almost complete. I hope it's not uh, the Kawaida government PR. I haven't been to, to those sides, but uh, hopefully before maybe the end of the year, I happen to go to Lamu. I try to have a look at it. And hopefully they won't bring it again and say, you know, maybe we'll have learned English by then. We'll be able to get jobs. What do you think? <laughs> uh, that's an interesting one. You know, one of the things we underestimate, and I mean, I'll be honest with you, I love the cost. You know, there's this <laughs> sense that the U.S. launches a satellite. Of course, the, the Russians, uh, the Soviet Union then had launched the Sputnik, you know, into space. So you, they simply unleash the space race. Italy comes in third, but then Italy is like, we, we can't launch a satellite from our space. So they where do they go? They come to San Marco Ridge, which is Kenya, which inadvertently means the third nation where uh, a satellite is launched into space in the world, in the history of the world is Kenya. Uh, you have the San Marco region and, and, you know, all these, uh, you know, going on up there, the satellite observatory spaces. But we don't even find those things in our, what do you call it, in our syllabus. You almost have to go out there and dig it and you're surprised how can such an amazing history be lost in archives. But then even more importantly, the, the lease by the Italians ended and then it had to be renewed. Then there was a push and pull for, what, more seven years. But then it was renewed barely, what, last month or, yeah, Actually, in October. Let me ask. You. I mean, you're sitting on you're sitting on both history and resource at the same time because this this is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you before we we, we talk about uh, Luigi Broglio Space Center, mm-hmm. the one you call uh, San Marco. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Ukoko Ras. Would you lease such a place for 23 m and it's not an annual fee? I don't know for a seven year. Would you do that? You know, it, it's it's a fee, but also why is this thing not even in our syllabus? Why is it? Why do I have to? I can bet I would go forget even the streets. I could walk into any university in this country and ask them if they know what we have in Rasngomeni. They probably wouldn't even find Rasngomeni on a map. First of all, really? number two, they wouldn't be able to find Louis Broglio and uh, the San Marco Ridge. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't be able to know what happened 
happen there? They wouldn't be able to know its less history. What are we doing? They wouldn't know about the 27 launches that have been done there, the last one being in 88. Satellite observatory that has gone on for what? Even beyond 88 up until now, basically. Yes. As in... What are we doing? One, part part and parcel of these things arise from our education system, right? We decided to go to the uh, the liberal way, yeah? So uh, as long as it doesn't affect me, I don't care about it. Same way ought to have even have happened with San Marco Center to believe the county government needs to get a chunk of it. Uh, this uh, this place was the first satellite I rem- uh, was done with the assistant of NASA and I think uh, a university in Rome. It is through scholarships that that's when Mturi, me and you get to know so and so got a scholarship from San Marco. We get to know where San Marco is. People go to, they'll go to know about Vasco da Gama Pila in Malindi. They get to know about Gedi ruins. Shouldn't that be part of that package? You know, as in because if you want to visit, you go there, you, you get access. It'll be shown these, these facilities because they are they're very old. I don't know if they're old because Italians like their things that way like the Colosseum or they did the Colosseum or because they abandoned it all. The government, in part the national government since that time till today. One would expect the community around Rascomeni Forget, forget about Mimi Akilif Yukunimbali. At least two or three schools have been established there. Two or three schools, uh, vocational educational centers have been established around there. So it is from that information then you get to know, indeed, there's this place called San Marco. I'm, I'm coming all the way. We're in Kisumu and we want, want to plan a, a trip to Malindi. We have to include San Marco in the in the school trip. The teachers themselves don't remember this thing. And that's why people end up visiting Fort Jesus and that's it. How do we know about Craft Memorial in Rabbi. It's because the fact that we believe Kraft was the first guy who brought education in Kenya, established the first church. People come there to visit. And it is for the influence that there are people around that community that benefited from what Dr. Ludwig Taft did. That's why it's still a, a point or a pinnacle or a point of reference. But since the San Marco thing, I doubt if there is any school named after it. What the, the fact most is that Luigi Broglio was a pioneer space scientist for the Italia, which would have used that opportunity to say we'll maintain it as Luigi broadly present but you guys we need a college we need a primary school we need these facilities and you guys are going to fund them we need this population here to be schooled by you guys you need to provide scholarship because that's the only way to ensure this history is passed over and over and over and over we don't have a knack of writing our own history it's still oral despite the advancements in in recording and all that and all how many people do you know work at uh, san martin could be knowing a few i happen to know few because you know uh, i'm a cooperative person i I deal in cooperative societies also. Maybe, I think, maybe things will change if in that re- area or that region we voted in an Italian MP. Remember Kasoso Abaya, Muturi? Yeah, there was an MP uh, who was Italian who, in fact, at, th- at that time even had a had a radio station. He's more, he's more down to earth, I'll say. That's yeah. that's my take around that. But we okay. are sleeping on many, many issues. Chimolateo yeah. has been there since time memorial. Amisi, have they been national schools just the other day? And you can, you can look it up in Kenya, how many people Chimolateo has produced, including the AG himself, Amoswako. I think it comes from Shimolateo. These things are systemic. It's not like the community doesn't want a thing to do with it. But how do you down the people? You know that. Don't give them scholarships and let them stay. Yeah, while you're still talking about aerial and space technology, and maybe Muturi can yes. chime in here, you know. We've just renewed our engagement with Americans on the drone war and what you'd call the war on terror that actually didn't even start in 2011, started as far back as 2002, 2003. How does that look like for a coastal person, you know, basically in drone war that, of course, majority of the agreements and operationalization would be classified information and to some extent necessarily so? 
how they've significantly impacted, and especially the Muslim community uh, in the coast. Yes, Muturi. To know, we should know it away from the media. Unless they tell us, we won't know. So if uh, if the system has decided to shield away some information to us, the populace, then we won't know about it. And uh, taking uh, it back to us, the coastarians, um, we are kind of disadvantaged, uh, where information, where knowledge is hidden from the people that this wants to mishandle. Yeah? So like us, most of these things we won't get to know uh, because, uh, first of all, our media, the mainstream, like the big media houses that are based in Nairobi, they won't tell you. Then come back to our local media houses, the likes of Kaya, the likes of Senangu Radio, they won't tell you these things. Why? Because they rely on what uh, Nairobi is saying. It's like they lack researchers. Researchers will go deep into such stuff and get to know what is happening. The talk around Malindi, I've never heard a local talk about the San, Mar- the San Marcos space station, yeah? Because uh, it's like they say, this is something foreign. We are, we, in fact, it's owned by the Italians. Mm, it's something that we don't have a stake into and uh, we don't care because even our politicians don't say anything about it. Uh, back to your question about the drone policy, uh, I don't know about it also, I'm sorry. Maybe to conclude uh, is that um, mm-hmm. what we need, maybe I can stop there. Thank you, Muturi. Um, there's one thing I think you've touched on that we definitely want to come back to uh, Munga, which is professional bodies, all these cooperative movements, professional bodies across industries. Have they made any sort of a rebuttal or a response? Uh, what would you call them? Local institutions of credibility that are able to say, look, we're the professionals here and we want to say what you said is at best inaccurate. Yes, uh, I think the, the doc, doc workers uh, sang Doc Workers in came out clearly. I remember in August this year, we had uh, around uh, 30 persons who were employed in a, in a Spanish uh, cruise ship. Did they have to speak Spanish? They didn't need to do that. Uh, you know, these colleges should teach uh, English, which is maritime based. Like I told you, there's no profession that doesn't do that. 